Hello and welcome to the second episode of the official Clutch Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Matt, manager of the San Diego Armada. This week, I have two colleagues with me. Back again is Sean, manager of the Bethlehem Bombers. Glad to be back, Matt, and talk about one of the most dramatic finishes in Clutch history. And with us, we also have the other Matt, manager of the St. Louis Dingoes. Hey, Matt, longtime listener, first time caller. Happy to be here. Yes, indeed. First topic of this week, as Sean alluded to, how he wrapped up the other day with a wild game five in the World Series between the Maryland Microbrews and the New York Dutchman. Tony, manager of the Microbrews, won his second title, first ever clutch manager to win two championships. And he also became the third clutch manager to tally 100 wins. All three of us made the playoffs. Um, so I'm curious, Sean, uh, which team caught your eye the most? Well, I mean, the Microbrews not only stole the show, they rewrote the record books. Tony and his Anthony Rendon cruised their way through the playoffs, and I know he knocked me out. And most of the big blows came from Rendon. But walking it off in extras in Game 5 of a best-of-five series to win the championship doesn't get any more clutch than that. No, it doesn't, especially walk-off, power-die, home run. I mean, great stuff. Matt, you were the commissioner of the league. So I'm curious uh, if there are any some any roster choices that uh, were interesting or surprised you. Yeah, there were a couple teams that um, I thought did really well within you know the new clutch uh, that we built in 2020. Uh, I think the Neptunes they had a really good thing going where they were running a bit of a platoon uh, with C.J. Crone, Van Meter, Barnhart, Allen, and Rio Ruiz going rotating every uh, way back and forth um and they they were able to get some good matchups that way and they cruised that and they lost in the semifinals so i think they had they did a great job there um another team that surprised me and i'm probably a bit biased because they beat me were the koa so the koa had san diego as their park and i had no idea what to take of that park and that park is the park where if the game is tied or you're losing as a pitcher you get to add one to the pitch roll and then San Diego pitchers get uh, minus one to the swing roll on their chart, and San Diego batters get minus one to the swing roll on their chart. And he had uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., who is a phenomenal card, uh, and Tommy Pham and a couple other Padres with some great pitching. And it was just a tough team and to play against, and they just kind of made you beat them with high defense. And, um, you know, it was they're a great team there. Yeah, I mean, lots of great teams. Even the Dutchmen, uh, I believe that was their first uh, league they were in. They really built their team around their stadium and really utilized their stadium effect. So uh, it was a really fun league, our biggest league yet. So Matt, with High Heat wrapped up, we have some more tournaments in league planned in the near future. What news do you have on that front? Yeah, so it's just announced that we're going to do another, we call it the Tri-P, which is just pre-polar power. It's going to be a much different format than the leagues. This this Last year it was four games and then a double elimination tournament. This year we're going to do five seeding games and then a double elimination tournament after that. And we're going to – the biggest thing is that we're going to eliminate starting pitchers and slots. So you will not, no longer have starting pitcher one, two, three, four scheduled on certain days. 
you will just be able to pitch whomever you want as long as they are not – well, they, you can pitch them if they're tired, but you um, they just follow standard tiredness without more of a tournament feel. Uh, we're trying that out as something in this league just to make sure that as MLB moves this direction that uh, we are moving that direction, seeing if it's something we can do in clutch too. Yeah, so that should be fun. Sign-up sheet will be out soon. Join the Clutch Baseball Discord. I'll send it out on our various social medias. So if you're interested in that, sign-ups will be right around the corner. With High Heat uh, having been wrapped up, and we're having uh, the tournament, mini-tournament coming soon. Uh, we also have Polar Power to look forward to just after that. So that was all fun stuff to look forward to. Of course, there will be several more sets of player cards and strat cards and elite cards coming out before then. So for now, let's switch to our first segment of the show, and that is going to be a position breakdown. Each episode, we will pick a position, and each person on the show will pick their what they think is their best card, the card they would roster, and the underrated card for that position. Today, we'll be looking at catchers, and for catchers, a very common meta that has emerged is uh, quote unquote punting catching where you put basically the cheapest max defense catcher on your team and go about your merry way. So Sean, what are your three picks and how do you feel about the punting catcher meta? Yeah. So the punting thing has been my strategy for several years now. So I'll start off with who I rostered this season on my bombers. We had Mike Zuzino. And he has a plus nine arm, um, which was big because my rotation had really poor defense. So we desperately needed Tatra behind the plate. And I was playing in New York. So a lot of my team was built around the clutch because clutch was added to power die for that stadium. So I loaded my team up with a lot of plus three guys. So a lot of heavy hitters. So unfortunately, there was no one that was really perfect for that at catching. So that was a position I punted. So he was perfect for that because he's 50 salary. And he had the solid arm, which I, re I really needed for my pitching. But if we were talking about best catchers this year, I would go with Yasmani Grandal as my top choice. Because if I was spending a little bit on a catcher, which is kind of funny, I'm not. you wouldn't really be spending much. He's only 385 salary. But if I was going to spend a little more, he's nearly the whole package for me because he's got the high on, high on base at 12 for a catcher. He does have the lefty plus one bonus, but ultimately the biggest thing about him for me is he's a switch hitter. So for me, when I'm using my strategy cards, I'm using a lot of cards that activate the power die through switch hitters, or I'm trying to avoid strategy cards being played on me for, you know, handedness purposes. So he's great for that. He's, you know, nearly perfect defensive plus eight. And the worst thing about him is his clutch, which is negative two, which I don't like that. But, you know, just for me for being in New York this year. But he's also a speed one, which a lot of people would look at negatively too. But most of the time, your catchers are going to be slow anyway. They're going to be four or five, six speeds. So then again, you're kind of just punting that speed altogether. So you're actually saving a little salary, dropping him to a one. And he's got a solid chart with a six out chart. And he's got the 17 double, 19 home runs. So for me, he's pretty much the whole package. And he's still a pretty good salary card. But ultimately, after the entire high heat season, I think we can all say, I think everyone could unanimously say at this point, the most underrated catcher is Kurt Suzuki. I mean, he killed us, killed me in the regular season and or, or in the postseason, and he ran away with the batting title. And he won the batting title in the league with a 538 average while racking up 35 hits in 14 games and winning a World Series ring along the way. So easily safe to say he was the most underrated catcher this year. All right, Matt, let's hear what your three catchers would be. 
Yeah, so I'll start with the punting strategy too. So I also started at Austin. I started Austin Allen, another fifty-point catcher, and I think a lot of people have started him recently. And I have jumped off the Austin Allen bandwagon um, for a couple reasons. But first off, as I looked at my stats, he was on base all the time, but he scored two runs the whole year for my team because he has five speed and the seven defense is really nothing to write home about. And there's a, just a ton of options at catcher. Since we're trying to get two catchers on every team, which is, you know, uh, there's just a ton of options where I think you can do better than Austin Allen on your roster, which leads me into who I would like to roster. And if you have been on the Discord at all with me, you know that I am in love with Stephen Vogt. He just, he, for 100 points, he doubles at 14, homers at 19. Yeah, he has six defense and, you know, negative clutch and isn't fast, but only six outs. Um just sits at the bottom of my lineup and hits. And then the couple games that I've played, um, I think actually, Matt, you can attest to this. He has hit. He was three for three against you one game. One of those was a homer. Uh, every team I build now has Steven Vogt as the catcher. It's just the way it works out. He's really annoying. Uh, <laughs> he's also <laughs> a, He also bats left, and he has a R plus two on base bonus. So it's that nice uh, opposite-handed bonus, which a lot of people like. And, and like you said too, with uh, only six outs on his chart, like yeah, he may not get on his chart a ton, but you know, having that so low uh, is really useful. Yeah, down there with the eight on base with the two against uh, plus two against righties. I mean, you want him to be able to do damage since he won't be on his chart that much. And if he's fourteen plus as an extra base hit, only six outs, you know, he's he'll he'll get your. I feel like he'll get your money's worth for him. Now, if I'm looking at the best catcher, I mean. The best catcher is obviously JT Romuto. I think that's unquestionable. I mean, he's, what, 140 points higher than the next closest guy. So I don't really think I, – I think the discussion is for second best because with the speed, the icons, the power, everything, just, he's the best. And my, I think the best catcher for, for everything is Kurt Suzuki. I think, you know, 12 on base, four outs, 19 homer, uh, positive clutch. 11 speed isn't bad. I just think – if you're not going for Real Muto, I think Suzuki is is your guy. Um, yeah, the five defense may lead to maybe wanted to DH him or or bring him somebody in at the end of the game for him, but I think he can just he can hit. He's one of the one of the better pure hitters in the game that we have. And then for underrated, I kind of went off the path. I, I've been kind of feeling the catchers who have other positions, and this one is uh, Travis Dearno. You know, he also only has six defense, so obviously I don't care too much about catcher defense based on all of these. But he also has first base eligibility, which gives you some flexibility. He is 11 on base, six outs, uh, 17 double, 19 plus homer, all for 215 points, where if you're looking to spend a little bit, you know, he has enough with the one speed and uh, other stuff to kind of drag down the cost where you can be like, yeah, this guy this guy fits at the bottom. I actually found him building an Atlanta roster for, for one of the R2-D2 games, and uh, I was like, this guy's pretty solid. I might try to fit him in to, to give me a little more flexibility. But then I realized Stephen Vogt exists, so he won't fit on my team. Very Some interesting choices, guys. Yeah, there's definitely some overlap between our picks. For the punting-catching strategy, I don't – I am not a fan – mostly because I have for quite a while been uh, anti-picking a catcher just for their defense. One of my many hot takes I have 
was catcher defense is a little useless a because it's really hard to build a all speed team uh in clutch and b even if you do have a lower catcher defense and thus a lower battery most people are too scared to send like you know their 15 16 17 uh speed guys not a fan of punting catching it's kind of boring Austin Allen is incredibly boring because uh, like you said, yeah, he's going to get on base, but he singles from nine to 20. So best case scenario, he's on first and he has five speed. So not sure what you're going to do with that. And then on top of it too, he's, he has seven defense. So you're sacrificing defense, which a lot of people care about and getting a guy that singles semi-regularly, but is going to be slow on the base path. So not a fan of Austin Allen. Uh, I would agree with you, Matt. JT Romuto is the best catcher in clutch, period, end of story. However, just because he's the best, no one rosters him, <laughs> like, almost ever. Uh, and, tier, and it's because of your point, he is 535 points, which if you look down the list of catchers is a mile and a half away from everybody else. So, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. He's the best. A person I would roster, and he kind of hits things we've both myself and Matt have talked about Tucker Barnhart's 170 salary. He's a switch hitter, uh, only 10 on base, which is uh, a bit of a bummer uh, Four speed uh, seven defense. However, his batter's chart is very interesting. Only four outs doubles at 17 homers at 20. Um, so I feel like he's kind of an interesting guy towards the bottom that has a lot of, you know, and he also singles at eight too, which is kind of crazy. And, for my most underrated pick, uh, someone who is near and dear to my heart, it is Phil Nevin. He is a uh, LE card that we made. Uh, thanks to an assist from you, Matt, actually, we have him. I think he's underrated because he's a little expensive. So he's up, uh, he's top five most expensive catcher. He's a uh, 365, but he is just, his chart, his batting chart is so good. Only five outs, doubles at 16, homers at 19, plus three clutch. 11 on base and 15 speed. So like we were saying earlier, not a lot of catcher speed here. You got a lot of catcher speed. However, the best part about him is he has seven catching defense. He can play first base with one defense, which is fine. And he can also play third base with three defense, which is fine. So I say he's underrated because you can do some wild platoon situations with him. Uh, so you could have them either platoon with someone at catcher, platoon with someone at first or third, or even have a little three-way action going on where you move your third baseman, your first baseman, and your catcher, depending on pitching matchup. And I have his LE 20 card. So, you know, of course it's all pretty <laughs> and blue and orange, but he was one of my favorite cards. He performed okay for me um, in the playoffs. He did really well because of his plus three clutch. So yeah, I just think he's a very underrated card because he's so expensive. But like I said, can get a lot of utility out of him, move him around the infield. Was there uh, any, any uh, as we're, I'm, I'm sure you guys are scrolling through the document too, looking at all the catchers. Is there any other catchers that kind of caught your eye? One that caught my eye as I was scrolling right below Tucker Barnhart on the list is Gary Sanchez at 170 salary. And um, Sean, I'm sure you love this card as a New York fan. 10 on base, R plus two. Uh, negative three clutch, uh, which is not great. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, I'm a huge Yankees fan, and every year Gary Sanchez is like one of the most exciting cards to look for because he's always dropping that 18 plus home run. Yeah, 
but you know, it was just unfortunate for me this year using my New York stadium to see him with that negative three, just nearly made it impossible. Yeah. And he has nine outs. Uh, and this year he has a 19 plus Homer, which isn't, isn't as good as previous years, but, um, just for that price, looking at that price with uh, 12 on base against varieties and 19 homers, he just is a very interesting card as well. Let's let's be fair, though. That nine outs is pretty realistic so far. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought all Yankees fans just hated Sanchez, though. That's what, I, that's what I'm getting out of there. <laughs> you must be on Twitter, my friend. <laughs> I am. <laughs> if I'm looking at somebody else on this list, too, um, I see Max Stassi. I mean, he's only 85 points, but... He gets righty. He's a righty with eight on base, righty plus two, and seven outs. You know, only one walk, which I kind of like down at the bottom of my lineup in case there's people left on that he has a hit that hopefully drive him in. Um, and he is like, if I was going to punt for defense, he's got nine defense. Um, I, that that's a guy that I see that I, I, on my teams a lot too. Def, I, I agree. I think he's worth the thirty-five point upgrade over a guy like uh, Mike Zunino. All right, so that was our catcher talk. Uh, like I said, every episode we'll come back, talk about a different position because uh, this list of catchers you can choose from is so long, so it's very easy to kind of get stuck on one guy you really like, whether it's your favorite player on your favorite team or fits a stadium you like. So it's always good to talk, uh, have you know a couple different uh, views on catchers. Hopefully that uh, turned you guys on to some uh, different catcher choices that you might not have considered. Um, so now... I went on Discord, which again, join the Clutch Discord. You can either go on Discord and search Clutch Baseball, or you can go on the Clutch website. There's a link there. You can sign up, join us. We talk about all sorts of things at all hours of the day. We have channels for team building, for strat chat, league channels, and even fields that you can play on as well. So come join us there. So I've got one of the, one of the channels on the Discord is the podcast channel. And I asked people for questions to ask. So uh, I've got three questions. First question is for you, Matt. It is from Winnie, manager of the New York Dutchman. And he wants to know, what is the process that is used to determine stadiums in strategy card changes? Yeah, so this is actually a brand new process that we just did. We've never really errated or banned uh, cards really throughout the year. I guess the only card I can really remember being banned or changed was Chris Davinsky in 2017 because he was so busted at two innings pitched with the with the tiredness rules that everybody would just have to use them. Uh, this year, we, we decided we were going to change three stadiums and ban three strat cards. Um, so the stadiums we, we have errated are the Washington Stadium, the New York, a New York Yankee Stadium, and the um, Atlanta Stadium. Now, Atlanta was the easiest for us because it had a glitch in the system that Ryan actually uh, took advantage of quite quite well during his playoff run where um, it was subtract the pitcher's clutch from the swing, from a power die swing. So uh, if you know the rules of clutch all that well, if you're tired, the pit, the batter always rolls the swing with the power die. And so he had a bunch of plus three clutch pitchers who – made the power die negative three all the time when they were tired. So he used Steven Strasburg and Garrett Cole and Koji Uhara amongst a bunch of other three clutch guys uh, to kind of, uh, I don't know if game the system is the right word, but he, he used it effectively. So we have changed it where if your pitcher is tired, positive clutch does not apply. That was a pretty straightforward one. That was That process was, hey, this is not, being tired is not something we want to encourage. So we have fixed that. 
Uh, New York got a different treatment because we did not realize the amount of card draw you could do on that stadium when you coupled that stadium uh, with all the positive clutch New York players and with Rally Cap and with Goodwood and with Dave Magadan. Uh, there were just so many cards that we saw plenty of New York innings go uh, crazy pretty quickly. So we decided to change the bonuses where the people are no longer drawing cards for the batter or pitcher bonuses, where instead the um, the batter bonus is positive clutch only and the pitcher bonus is uh, uh, the it only applies in non-clutch or it can be negated in clutch moments. Uh, it's basically now the opposite of Atlanta, like it was supposed to be. We just saw that too many cards were getting drawn and too many strat, uh, power die strategy cards, and it was just there were a couple innings that both Paul. I know Paul with his uh, New York team had a bunch of them, and I'm sure you had a couple too, Sean, where that stadium just blew up and it was nothing anybody could do to stop it. And then we looked at Washington, and Washington didn't really have too many problems yet, but we worried that as we released more cards that there would be so many Washington players that it would be power die after power die after power die. So we just um, – that that stadium was if uh, minus one to the swing, if there's a runner in scoring position, and then the batter one was roll the power die. Well, we have changed the batter one to roll the power die if the batter gets the advantage. And we feel like that makes it so that it's not just power die on the, bat, on the pitcher's chart – over and over again and kind of um, stopping stopping that before it starts. Um, it just so happened that Atlanta, Atlanta, New York, and Washington were all in the semifinals. Um, so we, we started making these changes well before then, and it just so happened to work out that three of the four teams in the semifinals had these stadiums that we were changing. Uh, and then for strat cards, we've changed uh, hit them hit where they ain't, changed inertia where we banned inertia finally. Um, that's that's been a long time coming where it's been, you know, Sean has pushed for that and we should have probably banned it at the beginning of the year where it's just, that inertia in its own right was just causing too many problems where we could not build effective momentum cards that would not just stay there forever with inertia. And so we wanted to get better and momentum cards, which I think you can see with dialed in. I think dialed in is one of the stronger momentum cards we built, especially at a um, at a common level. And we built that with the intention of banning. Uh, inertia hit them where they ain't it's just it's too powerful for the cost so you would discard a card and then have to make the middle infield so the second base and the shortstop perform a defensive play at their best it was a 50 a 45 percent chance of stopping it on defense if you paid four for second base and five for shortstop and you could play this on any ground ball and it didn't stop advancement and it just it just sucked when you played, you know, you played cards to get the advantage as the pitcher and then they rolled a ground ball and then all they had to do, they had a 50%, 55% chance at worst chance of flipping it to a ground ball or first a single that could advance people. So we decided just to ban that. We're going to reprint that um, and move from there to a more balanced card that doesn't force players to have strong up the middle defense to avoid the card. And then the other card we we banned was five hole and five holes just getting the ban because it was with two other cards that were in 2017. And uh, one of them I think was hot shot. I can't remember the, the other one, um, but there are two cards that are very similar. Now they're all combined in the top tough hop. And so this again goes against our forcing people to have good second base defense because they can get targeted by this card. So we don't really have a straight process for a long story short of like, we look at it this way. We kind of just watch games 
and an adjusted. Oh yeah, and I forgot rally cap. We changed rally cap so that you can only play it when you're losing. And I actually got that idea by watching somebody else play on Discord saying, I can't believe I can play this card when I'm winning. It's called rally cap and it helps me win more. And I was like, that's a really good idea. I think we should incorporate that into the card so that it, again, slows down the draw um, of the card so that you can't just keep drawing and drawing and scoring and scoring. So hopefully, you know, if you get the lead or you're not leading, you can't play it. Yeah, so basically, people don't realize is, uh, you know, we may not comment in fields or, you know, make it known we're watching games, but we do pay attention to, to see, you know, how people are building teams, you know, what strategy cards are used and how they're used. Um, and a lot of times that yeah, we decide to change things because the way they end up being able to be used was not our original intention, whether, um, you know, it's because we, you know, misworded it or didn't, you know, think through, uh, something. So there is no one way we're always looking at all the cards and trying to make them better. Um, Sean, I was curious, um, get your input on this, uh, kind of going off the stadium strategy card changes. Can you give them a little taste for how we come up with stadium and strategy cards? Cause I know you are, uh, especially stadiums, you're really good at coming up with stadium effects. So could you give them an idea of how, how you do that? Yeah. So dating back to when we first started the game in the 2017 set, each stadium was built with a purpose to try to simulate something that was realistic to the stadium whether it's the winds in Chicago or dealing with the high wall in Fenway or whatnot. So all the effect, the effects really reflected something unique about that stadium. And it's been, I wouldn't say more difficult over the years, but obviously things change more and you're not, we're not going to be doing the same repeat things all the time. So it's one of the major things I look at is ballpark factors and you know, which, which uh, stadium had the most home runs this season, or maybe this one had more triples or something, or, you know, people had trouble stealing in the stadium so sometimes it's, you know, really the ballpark factor just from the season before that reflects it. And, you know, that's it's kind of funny sometimes because over the course of a few years, you might see that stadiums kind of flip a little bit and, you know, change a little bit. So it keeps it interesting. Our next question is from Aaron, manager of the Dallas Galaxy. Uh, he wants to know when working on generation players, what kind of thought process do you all have when considering who to pick and what seasons to choose from? Um, so this applies to uh, LE sets. Uh, we have themed LE sets, and we also have uh, Generations cards within those LE sets. Uh, we all have, I know we all, for a fact, we all have our own Excel sheets with lists of players and seasons. Uh, so Sean, let's hear how, let's hear how you uh, pick your guys. I mean, there is a master file that does exist that has, you know, hundreds of players from all different decades. And we have started compiling this over the last, you know, year or so. And really what we're trying to do is we're cross-referencing, you know, different teams. And sometimes we're trying to find different themes that are unique about it. So, you know, recently we just came out with the All-Star MVP ones, which seemed to fit perfect timing for what would have been the All-Star game this year. You know, if, you know, the regular season had unfolded. So we really just do it that way. And, um, you know, there are some future plans, you know, I don't want to, you know, drop any spoilers here, but, you know, talking maybe about if we ever come up with not just legendary players one day, but maybe legendary teams that's been tossed, tossed around. And, and, and where that really came from this year, it really got talked about was if the season was going to get canceled, what were we going to do? How are we going to come out with a base set next year? So, you know, we're, that is still in the talks right now. I mean, it's going to be wonky kind of having a 60 game season and, 
you know, we're going to see what kind of cards come from it, but that, that was being talked about, you know, the team sets so that I'm sure that is going to be possible in the future. I don't know if Nick's going to get mad at me for dropping that info, but (laughs) that that was talked about as recent as this year, you know, just because of the season coming up. So if we can't, uh, everybody will hear a giant just beep in that section. And so, no, there was a spoiler there, but it was two spoilers. We had to get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Nick doesn't have internet right now, so he can't listen. That's to true. This. That's true. Yeah. So for me, I have uh, a couple of re- uh, baseball reference books um, where they just have lists of like historical players and whatever. A lot of it for me is, you know, when I'm watching games or something, they'll talk about, you know, you know, they'll have those trivia questions where they'll talk about, you know, oh, this player had eight RBIs in the game or whatever, and then it's like, oh, I remember that guy. You know, let's see what he's done. Like for example, I talked about Phil Nevin earlier. Uh, obviously, as a Padre fan, I suggested we uh, have Phil Nevin as a player in one of the LE sets. And I initially had him for a different year because he had a ton of home runs one year. And that card turns kind of, it was kind of a whatever batter's chart. Uh, but then Matt actually suggested a couple seasons before, uh, he suggested the 99 season uh, because he had catcher, first base, and third base eligibility. So yeah, a lot of times, you know, it's, it'll come up with someone liking a player and then, you know, you're like, oh, well, what about this? Uh, so that worked out really well. But yeah, the other thing too, Matt, we tried to do this year is a better uh, selection of both teams and positions, right? Yeah, I think so. I I believe so. So I, to be completely honest, I think I do the least amount of work on these. I, I try to focus on the leagues and stuff and chime in because I am... I'm not as good at baseball reference and finding all this stuff as you guys are. Um, I, I like to chime in every once in a while, you know, with the Nevin thing, or we did, you know, with all-star MVP one. I mean, I'm a Cardinals fan. So, you know, Musual was one of the, the Jens cards with it. And I know that he was just fantastic in the all-star games. And I just thought he fit. Drysdale was also great. So it was kind of a good little segue there. Does, does it help that Nick's also a Dodgers fan and those get in there? I mean, sure. Um, but, you know, I kind of like to just chime in and try to make cards, you know, that, that we want uh, that are fun to play. Um, it's cool. You know, uh, I know for the catchers, for the for the all-star MVP set, uh, we had McCann. We also looked at a couple of other guys. And their, their cards were just kind of boring. Um, and McCann had the best one, so. We take a lot of factors into it. It's not, and we look for positions, but we also look for cards that people will play or or names that people want. Like you know, Bo Jackson has nine outs, which is kind of a uh, nobody will touch it type thing. But he's a big name, and he still has a lot to like on the cards, so he works. And and McCann, you know, he he has a good defense, couple icons, um, and it was a fun card to play. So that's you know, we kind of try to balance between names and cards that people want and different teams it's 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 more of a process than it goes into um and it's actually kind of fun to see it on this end because this is my first year being a mod to see you know what goes into it and it's not just oh just grab three names out of a hat and we're doing it like there's a lot of thought that goes into it which i think is pretty cool theming wise like you said the all-star set it's just kind of whatever makes sense and also you know if there's enough players that fit into it uh like the first one was the opening day set i had we're like, oh, what can we do? You know, something opening day themed. And I realized, and I ended up on a page where it showed a bunch of the best opening day performances. So I was like, oh, well, why don't we choose some guys that had amazing opening days and use their seasons? So that's how we got that set as well. There's, it's really 
there's not one specific way like everything in clutch is kind of uh you write you write a name down that you see and then you go back and, and look uh, to see how they fit our last question is from paul uh, manager of fedweezy fusion he is known as the rules lawyer on the discord one of our favorite discord users when it comes to rules and his question is what's your favorite card that hasn't been released to the public yet matt we'll start with you to be honest i don't have any of like i said i don't do a whole lot with these um with these uh le's these these gens but i guess i guess we could we could leak the um the inertia replacement that'll be the one that that nick will make us beep out here um so that one is going to be called encore and that one is going to be it's going to be similar to inertia in that it'll have it'll be a neutral it'll have a discord a discard with it and you it'll you play it instead of discarding your card so say it was if you're using the man is non-stop and then that's going to get discarded whether it's um from Lost's mojo or from the actual card being discarded you can play you can discard a card and play encore and then that'll stop it from being discarded but it can still be discarded later so we like this because inertia just kept a card on your guy for in perpetuity forever and this way, at least, it doesn't let cards like High Heat or The Man Is Not Stop or a couple of these cards that can can be really overpowering in the right cards on the right players um, to make sure that they aren't overpowered. And we can kind of build on a lot of these cool momentum cards that exist um, so that we can have, you know, they can be a more viable strategy than it currently is. Yeah, Sean, uh, what about you? Well, if we're being honest, uh, 2004 Barry Bonds, right? Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if if we're talking realistically, because obviously that card is going to cause many headaches for our formulas, I'm I'll just hint at that the Field of Dream set that we were kind of tossing around. Let's just say it's it's going to be worth the wait, and uh, it's definitely going to have some heavy names that we haven't put into our sets yet. That's what I was going to say too. That we definitely, absolutely, for sure, cannot spoil right now. <laughs> but uh, I would definitely agree with you. That will probably have, of all of the LE cards we've done this year up to this point, that one I think will have the most hype and intrigue about. Would you guys disagree with that? And not, I'm not only excited about the players about it for, but even just the design, I can really just you know see Nick come up with something really cool for that cornfield. Yes, effect. that will be great. All right, guys, thank you for joining me on the second episode of the official Clutch Podcast. Sean, great to have you back again. Awesome, man. Awesome to talk about one of the most historic, maybe the most historic home run in clutch history this week. Matt, thank you. I believe you've been on the old podcast before. Thank you for come joining us on the new podcast. I had not, actually. I had been scheduled, and then it did not work out um, for whatever reason. I can't remember. It was way back whenever. But yeah, I'm excited, and hopefully I can, I can pop in more often. Yeah, it'll be great. We have you as our resident rules expert and rules and strategy card expert. All right, guys, uh, until next episode, may the dice spot be in your favor.